97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Welcome, everyone, to this exciting episode of Pardon the Disruption. I am your host, Matthew Potter. I am extremely excited to have four of the best and brightest in the industry here to discuss some of the things that are the most important and burning questions to us all. First and foremost, as I mentioned, my name is Matthew Potter. I am Short Sale King, Hedge Fund Connection, and also the co-founder of The Family Tree over at Real Brokerage. If you're interested in more information, reach out to me. Real quick, for those viewers that are new to our show, the way that this works is we ask a series of five questions. Off of those five questions, each participant gets 45 seconds to answer. Um, today, I'm working without a buzzer, so I'm just going to chime in with a big ding, um, and that will be their time, and there's two minutes to chop it up after that. We will go ahead and have a sixth question that is going to be posed by our audience. If you would like your question featured, go ahead and text us over question to 33777. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our panel. Starting it off, we have Steve Trang. Hey, everyone. Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. I've been in business coming up on 16 years now. It's kind of crazy to even think about. Uh, serial entrepreneur, shiny object syndrome. Um, love everything about real estate. Uh, and excited to be here and hang out with my great friends. I assume you're talking about me. Uh, of course. <laughs> next on our list, we have Eric Brewer, go ahead and give us a rundown there, Eric. Looking quite yeah, dapper super. today. <laughs> Thank you. Super. I got an interview later this afternoon. Um, Mark, getting, <laughs> hired, getting hired on with RJ, huh? Yeah. I'm going to be cold calling for you. Uh, <laughs> you well, um, I got my Twitter fingers all fired up to text me in uh, Virginia. But anyway, um, super excited to be here uh, with Leon and, and Steve and CJ and uh, didn't know we had a uh, celebrity host from the Adams family, the way that you rang that thing. <laughs> you rang. <laughs> um, so, uh, now we have sponsors, celebrity hosts, like the show is about to take off and I'm just glad to be, you know, riding the rocket ship. So. Ab absolutely. I, I appreciate that. Thank you for the love for uncle Fester over here. Um, <laughs> Next up, we got Leon G. Barnes. What's going on, boss? Introduce yourself. What up, everyone? I'm feeling charged up, not only because <laughs> I'm here with Chris Jefferson, but I just spent three days with Eric Brewer, and I'm always uh, happy to be on this show with Mr. Steve Trang, who the G today does stand for great in my middle, my middle initial, great friends 
always excited to be on the show. Uh, we just spent three days at the Collective Genius. I'm director of membership, also a real estate investor, and excited uh, to talk about five great uh, topics here today. Outstanding. And last but certainly not least, we have Chris C.J. Jefferson. Go ahead and introduce yourself, boss. Yeah, Chris Jefferson, Richmond, Virginia. I represent the U Charged Up. Uh, look, it's good to be back. You know, I hear in my absence uh, that Leon apparently scored a victory. Uh, Eric has clearly <laughs> been to the dry cleaners. I hope he gets the job with the U later on today. Uh, and Steve, Steve looks like he may be in need of a haircut like myself as well. All right. You know what? I, and I think what we should do for Steve, I think I'm going to get him to kind of the barbershop that I go to. All right. We're not going to do the hair cuttery or any sports clips or any of that. We're going to get him to a real barbershop here pretty soon. But I'm back to win today. All right. Let's get it. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Without further ado, we're going to jump into the first question of the day. This one is definitely a hot topic right now in the real estate industry. What are your thoughts on creating multifamily assets from hospitality assets? Steve, go ahead and give us your thought on that. Yeah, I don't know why you started with me on this one. I mean, for me, I look at it, uh, if, you're, if you're looking at hospitality assets, right, you're buying it predominantly for cash flow reasons. If you're buying it for cash flow reasons, just because the market has adjusted, right, has shifted a little bit, I wouldn't change your business model just because of how the market has shifted. Um, I, I personally believe you should stick with the plan uh, that you had when you first acquired the asset and not make any panic moves. Now, if you're acquiring a property, right, to transition it, that's another story. But if you bought a property for hospitality, I would not change the multifamily just because you know, of how the conditions have shifted in this market. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, maybe as we go on in the show, you can get a little bit more in depth with some of your answers there. You know, we'd appreciate it. I didn't get a chance to prep like Leon. I'm sorry. Hey, we know he came with the notepad and the Encyclopedia Britannica. All right. Next up, Eric, what's your thought on um, multifamily out of uh, hospitality assets? Go ahead and lay it on us there, counselor. I think you should treat this the way that Steve did his answer. And acknowledge when you don't know what you're talking about or what you're doing. <laughs> right? so, anybody that tries to go from wholesaling three bed, one baths to converting hospitality into multifamily, I think could potentially uh, bite off more than they can chew. So I, I would, you know, follow suit with, with, you know, what Steve said and be extremely selective about the risk that you take. Um, you know, that type of conversion, I think, requires a tremendous amount of capital, a great understanding of construction. And then I think you're, you're converting into something that has, you know, uh, an unproven track record. I would be extremely selective. I'd try and find someone that has a ton of experience if you just cannot resist uh, making that type of pivot. But I would be extremely cautious before I would take on that type of project. Ooh, just got in before the dong was going to get dropped there, bud. Um, all right, next up, <laughs> next up, Leon, what it's are you Steve doing? Are you converting to Ritz Carlton or what? <laughs> I, I don't even know how to, to follow that last comment. Um, Pause. Although I do, I do need to do something real quick. I need to flex from last week's win. Uh, that wasn't mentioned in the opening. So I'm going to go ahead and get the flex out of the way now. The returning um, champions. Yeah. So look, all disclosures, you know, out in the front of this, obviously. 
Um, when it comes to, I have wholesalers all the time that'll come and say, hey, I'm looking to make that transition to holding properties. Um, what would you suggest? I was like, you need to figure out construction first. And if you're going from even a fix and flipper into buying a hotel and converting it into single family apartments, um, what have you, uh, that it, 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 there's, a, there's a, as my good friend Eric Brewer says quite often, there's levels to this guys. Uh, I think it's fascinating. Uh, there are some big operators within our premier level group uh, that are starting to see that these hotels that didn't make it through 2020 uh, because of COVID, there's some opportunity there to convert. There's already everything lined up in which you need to be able to do that, but there's levels to this business. I think it's super fascinating and a great opportunity for those that know what they're doing. And if you're going to do something like this, I would find and align yourself with a great mentor that understands and knows it has done this before. I know exactly who I would go to within our community if I were looking at doing this. Mentorship would be the crucial piece if you're going to look into this. Very, very well thought out. I, I appreciate those uh, comments there. Um, CJ, what do you got for us? What are your thoughts on uh, this, this budding industry? Yeah, so I agree with some of the things that have been said <clears throat> in terms of if it's something you're looking to do yourself. But in terms of the concept of, you know, repurposing a, a, a hospitality asset, a hotel into a multifamily asset, I think is really interesting. Uh, I looked into this a couple of weeks back and the concept of, you know, maybe taking a boutique hotel that's, you know, 20 to 50 beds uh, and converting that, uh, you know, in a, in a, you know, a dense environment. Uh, into um, multifamily asset, I think does make a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think structurally, there's already uh, some good placing there uh, in terms of a footprint and what you would kind of need to do to develop that. Uh, so I think the concept is cool, but I think more importantly, I think the lesson is the realization that we are in a new economy. We're in a new world. We're in a new sphere. Uh, real estate has largely changed, right? Uh, there's a big conversation happening right now at a large level about what's happening with a lot of these office assets uh, in the next two to three years, you know, that's a huge conversation. So I think the general conversation is how much repurposing is going to need to be taking place on how we did business in life prior to COVID and how we do business in life now uh, and how that's going to affect real estate development, how people have to make decisions and what they develop. Damn. All right, go ahead and discuss Jens. I take offense. Eric called me out. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he's not wrong, I just take offense. Just put that out there. <laughs> you would. Yeah. No, I, I think I think this is an interesting topic only because uh, there's a ton of hotels, right? Like we had a huge hotel boom across the country, especially in the Sunbelt states, like after 2010, where you've got just hotels galore, you know, just kind of everywhere. And I think we're in a space right now where uh, they don't have the population support in terms of a customer base right now with things like Airbnb, how do you say it, VRBO, however they pronounce the acronym. You know, there's just so many things happening in the hospitality space. And I think some of these buildings and some of these properties definitely are going to have to be repurposed into, you know, some different types of assets. And obviously apartments is a, is a, a good transitional fit, in my opinion. That may be, but you know, you look at, uh, go ahead, Leon. I was having this conversation with one of our members um, at the select level. Um, this member has, I feel like has really saturated their market. So they're really good at wholesale. They understand construction. Uh, they have a, a GC license uh, in their particular marketplace. I mean, they're pretty saturated. It's a, a town of less than a hundred thousand. And our conversation by the pool yesterday was, you know, now you've mastered that. 
what's next for you is to start looking at other opportunities. And I'm not telling him by any means to go out and, and, and buy a boutique or a, a huge hotel and convert it by any means. But this would be something that I personally would be looking into as well from the standpoint of a small boutique. Chris said it, uh, that word, boutique. I'm going to start with something small if I'm looking at to convert something. But again, I've also had experience of flipping 400 houses. This particular person I was talking to had experience in construction. This is not something for someone just to jump into. But with the lack of affordable housing, and I can tell you from being a landlord that rents continue uh, to stay strong, there's opportunity there. But again, I would, I would caution those that don't have the experience or especially on the construction side. Yeah, I think if you're talking about converting a hotel, like you would have to buy a, such a stupid low price. Like someone, whoever built a hotel would have to lose a lot of money, right? In order for the numbers to make sense. Because you're talking about a hotel where they're charging $100, $200, $300 a night. You're transitioning to multifamily where they're going to be getting maybe like, you know, 2000 2200 bucks a month, right? There is going to have to be at least a 50%, 60% or more haircut, I think, on selling it in order for the numbers to make sense. And we already know, like, if you were to go buy a multifamily, buying Class A, you're not buying Class A for the cash flow. You're buying it for other reasons, right? It's not The cash flow is not the number one reason. If you're talking about converting a hotel into uh, a multifamily, I mean, maybe you're looking at a Class A asset, but I'm not looking at strong cash flow as far as the the... But, um, I, I think you're missing this one, Steve. Um, I think you're you're looking only at Class A. I think uh, what we're referring to, um, especially during COVID, uh, is what the French like to call chate. Um, <laughs> they are uh, <laughs> these are the properties that were struggling before COVID uh, and uh, and shut down because they were already struggling beforehand. And these assets are available via foreclosure. Uh, they may be in rough shape um and so these may not these may not even be b um these yeah. may be in your c's and d's with opportunity gotcha. and path of progress and those type of things again looking at opportunities that are available not, not a class assets here yeah you're yeah. seeing this happen in dense or suburban areas you know where you've got class c class b you know things that were like motels you know had uh where you enter your room from outside of the the building yep. or outside of the structure these these are the type two of properties two star yeah. hotels yeah yeah, yeah. like it. where like where where Eric stays like you know those, those are the type of, of buildings that they, they're starting to repurpose uh, and put into apartment type properties and that's what I mean when they're already kind of set up with a footprint and almost kind of already fit uh, to take in like think about an extended stay you know and the spacing that each room may have that could be repurposed so I think there's opportunity there but. This isn't something that somebody's going to be trying to do, I don't think, with the Hilton or Hyatt somewhere uh, or anything like that, unless you want to lose a substantial amount of money, I would think. All right. Some great insight over here. Um, maybe in the next question, Eric would want to maybe participate. I don't know. Um, so clearly, Eric's not the winner of that. He's, yeah, he's he's thinking about what he said wrong in court earlier today. Um, Dang. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> so that round, um, going to go ahead and give it up to our reigning champion, Leon Barnes. Um, coming in strong. Um, lo love the insight on it. I like where you're going with the, uh, you know, the, the French conversion there. I think that is <laughs> like what that. we're looking for. Um, so... Point to Leon. Hopefully, everybody else uh, wants to go ahead and dethrone him this week. So here we go. Question number two. 
do we push entrepreneurship too much and look down on W2 workers? Leon, start us off. What are your thoughts on that question? Well, let's keep this ball rolling. Uh, I personally do think that in this particular industry, we do look down uh, upon W-2s. I mean, look how much grief you guys have given RJ over the last uh, few months uh, for his W-2 job at Zombie Houses. Um, what I will say is this. Um, I have talked uh, a good number of investors out of taking the plunge too early. What I mean by that is we've had this conversation before where those that are listening to this right now, you have a W-2 and you're stacking doors because you have active income with your W-2. You're ready to take that plunge and go full time. And as soon as you do that, you become less bankable or maybe not bankable at all. So you can continue to stack those doors. So I know that people that are listening to this go, I want to be an entrepreneur and this W-2, this day job sucks. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a way to get to that point. And sometimes I see people leaving it too soon. And frankly, some people don't need to leave it at all. High earners, engineers, doctors, stay in your profession and continue to, to stack wealth. It's a great opportunity to do that. And there's a healthy balance there for sure. Very nice. Very nice. All right, CJ, let's see if you can uh, get on the board, you know, showing a half in. Well, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, look, I think it's simple. I think we do. I think we're unfair to people who uh, have W-2s. And I think we kind of categorize entrepreneurship as this fancy, shiny thing that everybody should strive to do and everybody should try to make happen in their life. And I think that couldn't be further from the truth. I think the hidden secret in business uh, is that a strong W-2 or a solid, consistent W-2 uh, can truly carry you a long way, right? That could be your first opportunity, even if you don't make very much money a year to get an FHA loan and go do house hacking, right? If you've got a high earning W-2 and you, you make a hundred thousand plus a year, creates an opportunity where you can really go borrow against that income and start to really build a really great rental portfolio and some, some wealth for yourself, some generational wealth at that. So I do think we're unfair to people. Uh, and we, we make this category categorization of entrepreneurship because at the end of the day, what really is that, right? Like uh, I think people have changed. I think people have, you know, side businesses where they're able to supplement their income. There's somebody in an office building somewhere in America right now that's selling somebody a plate of food for 10, 15 bucks and making some extra money on the side or just doing whatever the case might be. So I think we do have to slow down that push. And I think we have to be more receptive to the conversation of everybody can't be the boss and there's nothing wrong with being a worker at the end of the day. Very nice insight. I, um, I would tend to agree. Uh, that being said, Steve, what are your thoughts with uh, W2? Where, where do you stand? <clears throat> well, first of all, I feel bad that no one's talking over Leon. Um, but uh, I will share that I think that what we're talking about, you know, on this podcast, the content we create, we're talking <clears throat> primarily about entrepreneurship. And there's a reason why is because that's our targeted audience. That's our tribe, right? Uh, we're not here to belittle anybody else as far as a W2 role. Uh, I think W2 role must be fulfilled, right? In one capacity or another. And one thing I speak about uh, quite a bit is how difficult the journey is. So I'll talk about how awesome it is, but I'll also talk about how much it sucks a lot of the time as well, right? So it's not meant for everybody because there's going to be a lot of stomach punches, sometimes multiple gut punches in a day, right? So I don't think we're pushing it too much. I think maybe we glorify it and we don't talk about the bad side enough. Um, so I think that's probably where the balance should be. 
not everyone can be an entrepreneur and not everyone can be a W2, right? There has to be a balance. But for us, when I'm creating content, I'm creating content for a tribe of people like me, right? If I was trying to create content for another platform, let's say I was talking about a gaming platform, I'd be talking about gaming, right? I wouldn't be talking about entrepreneurship. I'm going to be talking about what resonates with me. So anyway, I'll pass off to Eric. I see he's tired. <laughs> he's worked too hard getting ready oh, for his interview. Uh, yes. <laughs> Eric, what, what are your um, thoughts? <laughs> uh, my thoughts are we need to go find the dinger as quickly as possible before the next session. So when I take my 30 seconds lurch, if you could go find that, uh, I think we'd all appreciate it, especially the people listening. Um, I, I think, you know, Ding. there's there's a uh, there's a there's a, a compromise here, right? Like entrepreneurs value freedom, the W2 person values security. And at some point, there's a balance for that, right? Like at Steve's point, when, when you seek the freedom that comes along with entrepreneurship, you generally sacrifice a ton of security, right? And I can tell you, there's a lot of entrepreneurs the last six months that would love to have a W-2 and may have one um, here shortly. And so it's nothing to criticize. And I think this is generally right. When, when, when someone sees something differently than you do, our natural response, unfortunately, as people is to criticize it, belittle it. Um, because we've taken on this huge responsibility and we can't imagine why everybody else wouldn't see things the way that we do. But the reality is, is that entrepreneurs need W-2 workers. W-2 workers need entrepreneurs to go out and start businesses and build these great organizations so that they have a place to work and provide that security. So yeah, I think we are a little bit hard on those people. Yes, I do think Steve has a point that inside of our community and our tribe, um, it's natural for us to have conversations um, that might not give the credit where credit is due for people that see things a little bit differently than we do. To add to that, I do think that you don't have to add to it, Leon. It was perfectly fine the way I left. <laughs> we have to add to your comments. That's why three of us had to Look, go after you. Uh, mine my perfectly game. fine. We can move on my, to the next question. My game is strong, so I appreciate you setting me up always to add more and dump things in for you. I pre appreciate that. So this isn't just real estate. This is also how many kids right now are telling you that they want to be YouTubers and TikTokers. At 20 years ago, guys, we are all old enough on this where things have changed. We were all told that we're all in our 40s. I think CJ's in his 40s. We're all close to our 40s or mid-40s and middle-aged as we were talking about last week. We were all told to get to go to college to get a good job, right? That's things have changed. Uh, that doesn't make it right, doesn't make it wrong. But there are a lot more opportunities for uh, people in our society <clears throat> to be um, entrepreneurs today, more so than ever before. Uh, and so I think that's that's something that we're going to continue to see um, as more technology becomes available, where people have the opportunity to be their own boss. You're just going to see more of it. Things have changed. And to add to that, um, I would just say, there you go. Uh, you know, for those that have followed my journey, right? I say I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The reason, one of the reasons why I started Real Estate Disruptors is to talk about entrepreneurship, right? And the reason why entrepreneurship is so important to me is that I have had in our family history, right? The last few generations had everything taken by communism, right? Having communism seize your family's assets twice, right? Once in China, once in Vietnam. Capitalism is really important to me. And that's one of the reasons why I push it so hard 
is because I think that there are certain parts of our society where profit's a bad word. And for me, I'm pushing hard on the other side to push entrepreneurship and pushing capitalism. Yeah, real quick, I, I think part of the conversation should and needs to be what we're really seeing as an emergence, you know, just culturally as Americans of what we would call really micro entrepreneurship, where it's not true entrepreneurship where people are running full blown businesses with employees and things of that nature. But again, things people are finding ways and opportunities thanks to social media, thanks to the Internet, uh, just thanks to, you know, awareness of how they can take uh, lessons from capitalism, lessons from entrepreneurship and really apply those to their lives to supplement their income with their W-2. Right. Uh, and that everybody doesn't have to try to desire to go out and run a huge business with a ton of people and all these different things. You know, again, like there's somebody that could just make a course on how to make this the T-shirt that Steve Trang is wearing right now. And they can add a couple thousand dollars a month to their income as a micro entrepreneur. And I think those types of things are important, but you need W2 income to achieve these types of things. Or you need a silver spoon, a trust fund or something like that. But who has those things? And that T-shirt person can continue to scale their business, you know, when they make actual large sizes and extra large sizes as well. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're, so we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and give that one over to uh, CJ. CJ came with it on that one, even though Steve got us with the heart melter there. Um, we're we're going to go ahead and uh, throw that one to CJ. Um, next up, this is probably the greatest question that's ever been written, mainly because I'm the one that wrote it. Um, with the emergence of chat GPT and other AI, how do you see this impacting your business personally? And then also the real industry as a whole start us off, CJ, man, I'm a, I'm a chat GPT fan, man. I've been, you know, plugging away, asking this thing, different questions, getting insight, uh, I think this tool is amazing. I think AI as a tool is amazing. And and look, I think that as we move forward, uh, not just in business and real estate, but just period as a, as people, I, I think that AI is going to have a great role to play in how things function and how things work. You know, just imagine like I'm a coach, right? I've had thousands and thousands of students. If I had an AI interactive database where students could go and plug in uh, and, and and type a question and get immediate information as it pertains to how I teach it, how I've laid out that information, how beneficial that would be, knowing exactly how to respond to sellers or have a question about uh, why something is this or that and be able to locate and find that information quickly. So I think I think AI is here to stay. I think it's going to be something that's going to be integrated into our lives greatly over the next five to 10 years. And I think it'll be part of our everyday use. I think it'll be a part of how we function and how we live and allow us to move much more efficiently and uh, I think we just all got to hope and pray that the Terminators don't, you know, come and take this thing over. Them. I mean, that's, that's all it comes down to. So no vote for Rise of the Machines. Got it. <laughs> all right. Steve, what, what are your thoughts on uh, AI and what kind of uh, impact it's going to have? Well, I think it's, it's fascinating, right? Like how, how much ChatGPT has moved the conversation forward. But, you know, AI has been with us for a while now, right? Now, how much is going to impact our business in the immediate future? I don't think it's going to impact our business that much in the immediate future. I think it's going to affect the marketing components, right? I think marketers are going to be the ones that are going to see the biggest changes, particularly if you're a blogger or a content creator. I think that side is going to change. But for our actual business, we still need to talk to humans, right? 
It's a human-to-human -human interaction. ChatGPT cannot demonstrate empathy. It can give you information, but you can have zero, near zero confidence in the actual correctness of that information, right? The reason why people reach out to CJ, reach out to Eric, reach out to me, and work with us, a collective genius is they want the information along with the certainty behind the information, right? So information alone is, is insufficient because YouTube and Google has been around forever. Is everyone else doing better because of Google and YouTube? Not at all. So I don't think it's going to make a big change in the immediate future. I mean, who knows, five to 10 years, but I don't see much changing in our industry in the next 35 years due to AI. Okay. Interesting thoughts. I, I know you're known for your empathy. Um, <laughs> Eric, what are your thoughts uh, on AI and future of the real estate industry? So I'm not sure what the big fuss is. CJ's been bringing his version of artificial intelligence <laughs> for, for six plus months. So no surprise that he feels like he can exit that part of his business and have some other artificial intelligence fill his seat. He can now go on vacation uh, probably permanently. But um, you know, I think it's, it's a good tool, right? Like this, this, this may be the next evolution of Google where Google would connect you to the information. This will actually bring a thought out response and give you instruction. Um, but it's no different than any tool, right? You can give somebody a, a, a great tool and if they don't know how to use it, um, it can do more harm than good. And I think um, this AI is going to be the same way. There's going to be some people that figure it out and it really streamlines their business, makes them more efficient. Um, replaces potentially um, the opportunity for human error. Um, but I, I saw this in the car business a long time ago. I am in my 40s. And I was in the car business and something called auto buy tell came out and everybody swore that this would eliminate the car salesman. Didn't happen, right? People still like to have some type of human interaction when they make big decisions. They want to be understood. And, uh, you know, people like to be somewhere where they have a shared background of experience. And when you're using something like AI, it just can't bridge that gap or they haven't figured it out yet. So I think it's a great tool. Um, some people are going to figure out um, how to use it and others will disregard it for a long period of time until they're faced with, like some people just now started using social media, right? It's been out for nearly 15 plus years. So um, I think it's a good tool. But I think you're going to find a lot of people push back against technology um, and AI. Um, so I don't think it's going to change much. All right, all right. A uh, little over. I, I made a judgment call there. Lurch, <laughs> Lurch, let, let you continue. Leon, what you got? Uh, I would say first uh, a couple things. Number one, CJ, if you're worried about how this technology takes over, I'll be your Neo if that's what you need. There you go. There number you go. two, <laughs> um, number two. I think that if I'm speaking to a real estate investment um, perspective, uh, I would just say keep yourself educated on all new technologies, not just AI. Uh, I have seen, I've been affiliated with the Collective Genius since 2015, and I have seen the average deal flow of an elite investor go from about 50 transactions on the average per year, 50 flips, uh, to well over 100. And a lot of that is because better data, uh, better technology, cold calling services, uh, uh, just information available and technology available to you. I would say from a perspective of someone uh, that is a W-2 worker or someone that is worried about AI technology taking away their job, as, as Eric mentioned, there's always, there's always going to be professions that need a human element. And I would always say that this 
this country has a lack of interest in the trades. And I can tell you that one thing AI will never take away is the ability to fix the toilet, is the ability to wire a house, to do concrete work, is to have a trade. And we have, as a society, have gotten away from that. I think this is fascinating. I know it's beyond the real estate investment industry because my barber was the first one to tell me about this and wrote a cold calling script for me while he's, uh, while he's cutting my hair. Um, so it's fascinating and something that we should all continue to follow all technologies, not just AI. Yeah, I think, I think AI is going to play the part more of the mundane task. The, you know, you talk about Leon, people flipping a hundred houses, you know, I know like from flipping houses, like one of the dreadful things is when you got to write the, uh, the, the, the property description for your, for your listing and make sure you hit all the points, yes, and, you know, do yeah. this and do that. I think it's going to be effective in ways like that. I think effective in, you know, ads or how you, uh, respond. So like I used it, for example, uh, for a customer service email for a student last week, right? Like I put the scenario in the chat GBT, uh, I laid out how I wanted the tone of the response to sound. And I allowed it to give me back a full email a response that addressed the person's issue, acknowledged the, 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 the thing that needed to be you know, resolved and all these different things. And so it, it, it took something that may have taken me a couple of minutes to do and, and compress it into 30 seconds. Uh, and so I think that's what we'll see in terms of the efficiency. I don't think it's going to take uh, over going to somebody's house and sitting at their kitchen table uh, with a nice sports jacket on. Uh, and, and a clean shaven head and, and getting them to sell you their property. I don't think, cause Eric's really good at that. Right. I don't think, I don't think AI is ever going to be able to replace that. Uh, but I think there will be a lot of functions that it can take over and it'll, it'll expedite how we do business. Yeah. Like just like Eric, what, like, uh, like AI being used for sales, right? If you don't think they're going to involve legislation in that, there's no way they're going to allow artificial <laughs> intelligence to completely manipulate the living piss out of a consumer. It's not going to happen. Right. And, and then at the end of the day, I don't think a consumer would engage. If you knew on the other end of a sales call that there was a computer that was built to conquer you, why is someone going to use AI? Cause it wins more than it loses. Right. And I think in the spirit of competition, there's no way a consumer is going to engage maybe in customer service, right? Like I could see it maybe being involved in customer service where you call in, you try to book a room or you have a, you know, a problem, it can sort through what you're saying and likely give you a, a you know, a good resolution to your problem. But like someone was, talking, it's going to take over sales. You know, AI will, will always be able to overcome your solution. And I was like, dude, there's no way they would ever allow that. Not yeah, so a shot. Resolution. I love, I love Eric's camera here. Um, I, you know, there was a time <laughs> where we're talking about Matterport cameras, right. And how, with the Matterport camera and the 3D tour and all in this, we're gonna make we're gonna render realtors obsolete, right? And they, those Matterport cameras, I want, I want to say, came out five six years ago. Realtors <laughs> are still here, right? So just like in the car business, auto buy tells and get rid of the the car sales guys, Matterports and get rid of realtors, AI is gonna get rid of this industry. I think the only industry right now that's threatened today with ChatGPT is bloggers. I think that's the only yeah, industry or, that's or mar today. the marketing industry as a whole, I think. Yes. But I think also, I think we're discounting, you know, AI as a, as a knowledge base where information can be pulled from and then, and then AI can recognize the function of the information as well. Well, I right? mean, as far as an industry, like the, the industry is yeah. right. So bloggers, hey, marketers, can, yeah. Copywriters. I think you could throw those in there as well. 
I think that this is just the first phase though. If you're looking at AI as a whole, the technologies go well, you know, well beyond that. And this may not happen uh, in Eric's lifetime because he's significantly older than all of us. But, you know, there's, I have a robotics company uh, two doors down from me here that's uh, in AI. They're one of their robots. The AI technology was just hired by T-Mobile in Singapore to run data analytics. They, they're paying that, that person, that AI, they're paying them $100,000 annual salary. That's, that's, not, that's not a human being, that's a computer, right? So there's, yeah. there's this phase, the chat today, and then there's things that come beyond that. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it may not affect us in real estate today, but 20, 30 years down the line, uh, when we're hopefully all retired and wealthy, um, you know, I do see that hit happening, but not anytime soon. This, like you said, will take some minimal copywriters, marketing, those types of things today. I'm far more terrified of those videos you see from Boston Dynamics, right? Where the robot's like catching things, like it's getting like uh, haymakers and it's just still standing. I'm far more terrified of those things. Yeah, I can't wait to buy they're one shooting, of them. <laughs> they're shooting with my proper form on the basket. That yeah, that's, that's the one I want. I want the Tesla <laughs> robot, man. I want that for the house. <laughs> You know, I thought Dang. somebody, somebody <laughs> DM me and said, I got a random DM. That was an AI DM, bro. The AI said that they thought that Steve was saying that Eric was streaming on a Matterport camera right now. That's crazy. <laughs> so, all right. So on this round, I mean, you know, had Eric not been back in 96 on Netscape, <laughs> he might have been able to uh, get him a point. Yes. But we're going to go ahead and give this one to... Steve, it's been a hot minute since he's gotten a point. Um, I do agree. You got to keep your eye on AI. It is something, but I don't think it's going to destroy it. And, you know, to the point, realtors are like cockroaches. We'll never go away. Like, dude, Matterport ain't going to destroy us. Neither is open door, offer pad. Like, you know, good points. Um, real quick, before we get into our next question and our next round of uh, debating, Steve, go ahead and give us a word from our sponsors. Yeah, definitely. So with capital thinning in today's market, it's crucial for real estate investors to build relationships with reliable lenders to access the capital that they need. That's where Kiavi comes in. Whether you're flipping houses or investing in rental properties, Kiavi offers fast approvals, high leverage, and reliable capital to close more deals in any market environment. Now, through their easy online process and dedicated support, you can access the flexible loan options that help you scale your business confidently. Go to kiavi.com slash real estate disruptors to learn more and download your pre-qual letter in minutes. Terms and conditions do apply. So please see Kiavi for further details and potential loan options. And just real quick, you know, from what I've been able to see, what I really like about them is that when everyone else was hunkering down and tightening capital, Kiavi said, we are here. We are here to partner with you guys. They're actively buying houses. We're not running away. And I thought that was really cool, you know, watching Ray uh, and, and some of our group calls just saying, like, look, we're here to support you guys. We're not running away just because the market shifted. Absolutely. It's awesome to have a partner that, you know, will weather the storm with you. Um, real quick, uh, before we get on to our next question as well, I just wanted to remind our viewer audience, if you want your question featured as our surprise question at the end, remember, you can go ahead and text us over question to 33777. All right. Next up, we have... For Steve, you're going to go ahead and start us off. How do you distance yourself from someone who isn't helping your mindset or helping you reach your goals? So I love this question. And, you know, the older 
or I guess less mature version of me would just say, just completely stay away from them, right? Just completely remove them from your life. Uh, but the reality is you can't remove everyone from your life, not in all circumstances. There are some people through, you know, whether blood or, you know, marriage or whatever, you just cannot completely remove yourself. So all you got to do, right, is just spend less time with them. So some people, I would love to be able to talk to all three of these guys every single day, right? If someone is um, uh, not helpful, is a little bit more challenging, then maybe we only talk to them three minutes a week, maybe 30 seconds a month, right? Maybe we just kind of give them a, a nod at the family barbecue and then we move on. You can't completely like delete them from your life, but you can definitely restrict the amount of exposure to uh, how much you have to spend with them. So just limit your access. You don't have to completely delete them. Very, very nice thought. I mean, you know, block button also works. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts? So I think I'll address mindset first. I think the first thing is if you're in the wrong mindset and someone doesn't support it, you should not try and get away from that person. Um, oftentimes we have a broken mindset and someone's trying to encourage us to do something different or encourage us to do the right thing. And when it's not what we want to hear, we often run from that. And, you know, a lot of people don't like change. So I, I'd get crystal clear on, you know, making sure first that they're not trying to give you good advice. Um, just because it's different than, than what we planned or what we were thinking doesn't mean it's bad advice. Um, I was glad for, you know, multiple times in my life where I was seeking some guidance and someone gave me good advice that was a little bit different than what I planned. Um, and it turned out to be really good advice. Um, like literally everybody I talked to was like, don't go anywhere near the show. The guys are losers. Like, <laughs> um, you know, and it turns out most of them aren't. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it turned out to be um, good advice. So I, I think, you know, to, to Steve's point, um, oftentimes when we reach different levels in our life and different levels in our business, unfortunately, it forces us to leave some baggage behind. And that's always difficult to do because we have a relationship and a friendship with those people. But, you know, I, I like to say, you hear this a lot, like what got you here won't get you there. And when we make a decision to raise our floor in life, a lot of times we have to leave um, some of those old relationships behind. Um, and that's difficult to do, but, but it often is the right thing to do. Very, very nice way of piggybacking off of Steve. I love the daisy chain. Um, next up, Leon, what you got? This one's a tough for me because um, I am a relationship person um, and we all know uh, to what Eric just said, to level, to continue to level up the people that you surround yourself with today may not be the people to get you to that next level. I do think this is a gradual process and that those that don't have a similar mindset uh, will understand and, and, and the conversations will happen less just naturally uh, because what they're interested in, uh, you're no longer interested in and vice versa. I do wanna caution though um, in, 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 these, in this gradual process, uh, there are some people uh, in my life uh, that I don't talk to enough that I wish I did that helped me get to where I am today. Um, and I uh, regret that quite frankly, uh, that I don't talk to them enough um, and need to make a point uh, to talk to them more because uh, I would not be who I am. I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of people and I know everybody uh, on this are. We all, we, none of us can have success without others. Um, and I continue to understand that I do want to be around people that help bring me up, level me up as well. At the same time, I just caution you, 
that if you've moved on from relationships that helped you get to where you are today, um, to maybe reach back out to those because uh, they, you may not talk to them every single day, but they're important because they helped you get to where you are today. That was uh, that was definitely some deep thoughts there, Leon. We we appreciate that. Uh, CJ, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with a lot with you know what Leon kind of said there on the tail end of things, but you know I think at the same time I think mindset is an important conversation. I emphasize it a lot with my students uh, because look, you know, my mother, for example, is college educated. Both my parents college educated, great jobs. You know, I got you know failed out of college, had to move back with my parents. I tell them I'm starting a real estate business. You know, that mindset, uh, that conversation didn't go great in terms of their encouragement, things that they thought I could or couldn't do. Uh, I don't think that was from a malicious place. It was just sometimes we have to accept that some people don't know past what they can see themselves. Uh, and so, you know, mindset is dangerous because uh, we love and care about people. That's human nature. And so a lot of times the people we love and care about um, can have negative impact on our mindset. They can have negative impact on our perspective. Uh, just from their own limiting beliefs or insecurities or whatever the case might be. So I think it is extremely important to be protective of your mindset, but also have the self-awareness enough to know and understand that somebody may not be coming from a malicious place. Like, uh, again, my mom wasn't coming from a malicious place from telling me I need to get back in school, get my degree and get a job. It was just the system and ecosystem that she knew and how that she knew things could function. Uh, and so, uh, but I needed distance on that relationship at the time. I needed time for myself to get clarity in what I wanted to try to do to try to form and create my own perspective uh, for myself. So I do think balance is important. I do think having fine lines with people is important when it comes to managing of, of your mindset. Uh, and if you don't meditate, please meditate. All right. Please, please meditate. Looking at transcendental meditation is transformative. Uh, I can help people out greatly. So check it out. Matt, did you lose the buzzer? I'm not. I'm trying to figure out what happened exactly. Here. <laughs> he hasn't so had it. I actually it's started short. the timer late that that round for CJ, so he got like an extra 20 seconds. So extra two minutes. Yeah, uh, no, it was 20 seconds. I was meditating so. while he was going. Okay. Well, you know, it's kind. Of like, <laughs> did you just? It's like when Kobe Kobe gets certain calls, man. You Minus just point for Steve. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to You just roll with it. Did you just ask that man if he lost his dong? Is that what you just asked? <laughs> So, but I think, you know, uh, whoever came up with this question, I think it's, it's a fantastic question, right? Because it is hard. Because it's one of the hardest things to do uh, is as you're making progress in your journey, you're going to find that. In, and in mentoring throughout the years, I've had this question come up from so many people I've mentored where they're like, hey, like my friends are saying, I'm changing. I'm not available for them. Like, how do I handle this? And all I can say is like, you just got to spend less time with them. Not cut them off. But you'll find that as you spend time with them, they may not want to talk about the same things as you, and they'll also kind of spend less time with you as well. It's not necessarily a one-way street. So it's a tough thing, and whoever asked it, I think, I think it's a fantastic question because we all I think it's, go through in one degree it, or another. It, it, it can happen very naturally uh, just because of the conversations and um, in the, that, you're, that you're no longer having. But in my response, I've as I was giving that response, it, it made me a little bit emotional because I think about some of the people, um, it's been tough that I don't talk to as often as I, as I once did. It's not because I don't love them, I do. Uh, it's just uh, as you continue to grow from a, uh, from a personal mindset of, of, of being at a different level, not better, just a different level, 
it is it is tough. It does happen naturally. Uh, in some cases, it doesn't. Um, and we've all been in relationships where you didn't want it to end that way, and it did, and you just have to continue to move on. But I don't think anyone blames us as human beings for continuing to want to be, um, to continue to elevate. And with elevation comes new relationships with people that are at similar levels and beyond. I do think Eric blocks my text message. So there's that. Well, I mean, that's a sign, right? She's trying to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> CJ got so much time. I'm guessing he wished he had my Matterport camera right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh so, <laughs> yeah that's how my you know, this is my wife says she'll look at me and she goes that's how god punishes right there <laughs> that's how god punishes that's a new people. feature he needs that's to get his he needs here. to get his camera charged up is what he needs to use it <laughs> Unplug the U and plug that power source into your camera. You bet you all streaming through the Matterport now. That's funny. That's funny. He had to Venmo his light bill real quick, is what he had to do. He, I, all I heard in the background was him yelling, I can put a little bit, I can put a little bit on it. <laughs> Tell him I ain't got it, dog. <laughs> oh Lord! Steve, All I was right. To think this was a new feature that uh, CJ went so long that we just cut him off and froze. Him. Yeah, it, that's gonna be version three point of the show. Um, all right. So on that round, um, getting us all up in the feels, Leon, you're gonna go ahead and get the point on that one. Uh, you are right. Sometimes when we go through these growth seasons, sometimes uh, relationships kind of go by the wayside that otherwise you wouldn't maybe necessarily want them to. So um, lo love everybody's responses on that. You guys were all on point. Like, I'm really not here to bust your chops on it. It was really good. Um, hopefully Eric can get on the board with the next question. Uh, ne next up, we have, what do you tell realtors or other people in real estate who claim that wholesaling and similar strategies are unethical? Lead us off, Leon. I think this is really an easy answer. Um, I would ask them, I would first of all tell them that I know uh, as probably more unethical realtors than I do unethical wholesalers, quite frankly. Um, if it's illegal, that's one thing. But wholesaling, far as I know, outside of Oklahoma and Chicago and maybe a couple of the markets that have passed legislation, uh, is not illegal to do. Are there unethical people in every profession? Absolutely, there are. Uh, but I would argue that I've met more unethical realtors than I have uh, wholesalers. And if it's not illegal, I don't see what the big issue is. They're, so, they're solving sellers' problems. What's unethical about that? Very true, very true. Very concise, too. Thanks for keeping us on time here. Next up, I CJ. Give CJ, some extra time. No, don't worry. I, dude, I just started the timer. <laughs> and and, uh, and the guys, that's appreciated. Uh, yeah, first of all, respectfully, shout out to all the realtors, Potter, you included. All right, I, thank I you, appreciate realtor. that, brother. Steve, you too. Uh, realtors, man, what the hell are they talking about, man? Look, <clears throat> here's the here's the whole problem with this. Respectfully, they they see that <laughs> respectfully, they see that we're infringing <laughs> on their business. And so, so NAR is running around, shout out to NAR. They're running around like chickens <laughs> with their heads cut off, 
talking about how wholesalers across America are taking business and leading people astray and yada, yada, yada. It's all BS. There's bad apples in every bunch. All right. There's bad apples when in, in terms of realtors, there's bad apples in terms of wholesalers, fix and flippers, contractors, you name it. The reality of it at the end of the day is this. All right. We're all providing solutions to homeowners and we have a lot of frustrated realtors that they're still using marketing tactics from like 10 years ago. Why do I, why every time I see a realtor respectfully, their, 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 their headshot and, and profile photo is from 15 years ago when they got their license. Realtors have been stuck using, using dated deal, bro. techniques when it comes to sales and marketing. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Ding. GPT got him again. Perfect. Well, AI malfunction. All right, Steve. Steve <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. He was getting dinged anyway. Steve, yeah. what you got? Well, I think... You know, if someone says like, you know, you're taking advantage of this homeowner, I would just ask them, did you make them a better offer? Are you going out and, and paying cash? Are you paying that price, right? Are you going to go get a loan or whatever for that homeowner? Right? I mean, that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I've actually been on the realtor side where they're like, your industry is broken, right? And the question I always ask them is like, look, if you're going to judge me by my colleagues and peers, let me ask you, at your workplace, are there any people there that you feel maybe shouldn't be at that company? Maybe aren't qualified. Maybe don't deserve to still be employed there. Well, are we going to judge you by your colleagues? If the answer is no, then you can't judge an industry, right, by the other people within that industry. So I, I, I used to believe a long time ago that our responsibility was to get the homeowner as much equity as possible. I now know that every homeowner desires a different outcome. 95% want the most amount of money. The other 5% want a solution that has nothing to do with money. Who are we to give them more money if that's not really what they want? Great. That's a great insight, Steve. And I mean, part of it is obviously, you know, your license as well. But that is a really great insight right there because you have to listen to what's important to you your client it's Eric just is, that simple eric is stretching he's ready to bring the rain in this dude, one. uh i think you know due to time we're just gonna have to skip eric um <laughs> eric, eric go ahead lay it on us what you got boss um this might not be that popular but i think 50 to 75 percent of the wholesaler population is unethical the 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 the, the practice of wholesaling houses is not unethical there's a lot of bad information out there um, there's a lot of people that have taken information and have, have chosen to do business in an unethical way. Um, so I, I think that the, the general statement certainly doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies probably to more people than it does not. Um, you know, so, and that's why we're seeing a lot of legislation. I think that's why, you know, certain areas of um, implemented licensing requirements for people to wholesale so they can have um, some type of way to, to govern these transactions. But we've all met wholesalers, right, that are shopping a, a, a property. I had somebody this week that I asked him to send me an assignment agreement. He said, I got to get the contract first. He doesn't even have an agreement with the seller. I was out at the property, walked through this property. Like, that's unethical. It, it, there's there's no negotiating that, right? It's, it's black and white. I, I would say that it's really probably just a lack of information. Oftentimes when people say things like that, it's based on a sliver of information that they have or an isolated experience. And then they, <clears throat> they apply that to everybody that's a wholesaler or a fix and flipper or an investor or a developer. 
So it's generally not right to classify all wholesalers that way. But for the most part, I think there's a lot of unethical things being done in wholesaling. But it doesn't mean everybody is bad. Respectfully. 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 <laughs> Shout out to NAR, man. They're messing with the Shout power over here. Man. Shout out to NAR. But I, I, I hear Eric, and I don't think Eric's wrong. But I think at the end of the day, we're talking about a regulated industry in, in opposition to a regulated industry. And quite frankly, a lot of us as real estate investors uh, have not wanted a regulated space when it comes to wholesaling or real estate investing as a profession. And so we can't have it both ways at the end of the day, right? And so anytime there's not any regulation present at all, there's going to be more, a higher probability of people being uh, unethical or going about things the wrong way, which we do see a lot, unfortunately, in the wholesaling space. Uh, and so I think that's part of the conversation, maybe for another day, but does the industry need regulation uh, or does it not? Yeah, I think uh, what it all boils down to, though, is to to Eric's point, if you know his percentage of the 50 to 70 percent are unethical, then NAR is going to continue to push. So I would challenge you if you're a wholesaler that is doing unethical things like sending, you know, not having a house under contract and talking to someone about selling that house to them, then I would encourage everyone, if you want what has happened in Oklahoma and Chicago to continue to happen, keep doing those unethical things and you will see that th those things come your way. Um, Cause it's, it is coming. The more that sellers in are taken advantage of and complain, the more you're going to see um, legislation being passed. So I, I can't, I'm going to butcher this quote, right? But something along the lines of never attribute to malice what you can attribute to incompetence, right? Like, I don't think that guy is being unethical. That guy just might have no idea what he's doing. Like, the worst thing that happens in our space that I see is when gurus are out there saying, buy a house with no money down, get a contract, and then cancel your assignment contract during the inspection period, right? That's 100% unethical, 100% illegal. It's fraud. It's the definition of fraud. But that is taught all day, every day. So I would say the person teaching it may be unethical. But if you're operating with that information, I don't think you're unethical. You just don't have the right information. Dang. I don't know what's going on with Eric, but I mean, literally, that, looks like, a, that looks like a mug shot from like 94 on a Nokia. <laughs> That's after you closed on his first house. Like, <laughs> Yeah, for zero down. Um, with the blue, with the blue, the blue hair. Look, I'm I'm a level with you guys. You guys all made great, great points on this. You absolutely did. Um, I like that Eric and CJ actually had the same argument, respectfully, and it was respectfully. It, it was it was it literally the argument. One was like pro realtor, one was like pro wholesaler. It, you know, it was wild. That being said, I went ahead and took it into the chat. The chat has spoken. CJ gets to point that go around. So now we're going to go into our final question. Um, mathematically, respectfully as well, and Eric are both eliminated. So it's going to come down to two, you know, it's ultimately Leon and, uh, Leon and CJ. So our sixth question today is coming from YouTube from C Moss. We have, how does a person like myself change my mindset from working a W2 to getting full time into wholesaling? CJ, start us off. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, and shout out to Cliff. I, I think the first things first is you stop looking at the W-2 as, as a nuisance, as a bad thing, as something that you're trying to, you know, 
make this great escape from, right? I think that what you have to do is to start looking at your W-2 as a tool because that's what it is. I worked at T-Mobile and I made 15 bucks an hour. For myself, what I had to quickly realize before I ever had the financial capacity to leave my job is what was everything that I could gather from the place that I was at. It's a Fortune 500 company. How much information do they have on systems and processes? How much information do they have on management? How much information do they have on how to properly train somebody? How much information do they have on how to respond to disruptive people on the phone? And so I think sometimes we just get lost in uh, our, our disappointment and, our, and, our, and our, our feeling about where we're at. And we get so focused on it. It's like I talked to my students about this the other day. It's like that lottery ticket syndrome. It's like, hey, what are you going to do when you, when you hit the lottery? Well, the likeliness is we're not hitting the lottery. Right. That's that's the reality. And so how can we look at this as a tool that we can use and create what I call an escape plan? How can you figure out exactly when you're going to be able to get out of here? How much revenue does it take for you to have in your business? And these are the types of things that I think we got to focus on. So the change in mindset is, again, not looking at your job as a hindrance or something holding you back or something limiting you from getting where you want to go. And I know Cliff, he's a student. I know he works a lot of hours and things of that nature. And I get that. But we got to look at it as how can I take hard work and effort and how can I use this job as a tool to get to where it is that I want to go? Dang. All right, Steve, feel free to participate. You're mathematically eliminated. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Respectfully, I think Chris made some good points. Um, I think the reality is, right, you got to look, I mean, truthfully, you got to look at the W-2 component, right? It's not that you have to quit a W-2. You know, Leon spoke on this earlier, right? Like a lot of people that want to have passive income can totally do that with a W-2 job, right? You can buy 10 houses with a mortgage from your W-2 income, right? We're not saying you have to quit your W-2 job to become a real estate investor. They're not two totally different things. With that being said, if you do want to quit a W-2 job to become an entrepreneur, I think the things you gotta look at look at are what is your purpose, right? What is What is driving you? Why would you wanna change with what's going on? And until you have a strong enough why, it's gonna be really hard to get yourself to shift on your mindset. You know, um, I think it was either last week or the week before. You know, Eric and I were debating here about your why and your purpose, right? And the default answer for a lot of people is like the kids, right? My family. And I think most people, when they start off, their first why is money. Their second why is their fa uh, the first why is money, right? But then you get the money. Then your second why is your family. But the reality is, we could stop day if our why is our family right you got to find a stronger purpose perhaps if you want to keep going further right so if you want to get the mindset to shift you got to find a strong enough reason why to go out and make that change i think purpose it's a really simple answer probably a boring answer but i think purpose is really what it comes down to ding ding all right eric let's see if you can you know maybe get a participation point what you got <laughs> Might want to unmute yourself. Um, no, I'm glad he sounds better this way. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping that wisdom. <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think W two is a mindset, man. Like, I, I and I think one of the the things that Steve said earlier is that enough people are not brutally honest about what the entrepreneurial journey looks like. Um, it's got some really high highs and it's got some extraordinarily low lows. And uh, we see all over Instagram and TikTok the highs, but very seldom do people talk about um, the deep, dark nights where you wonder about whether or not you can cover payroll or um, how much longer you can sustain 75, 80 hour work weeks. 
and um, you know, so I, I would think long and hard about what it is about whether you call this a W-2, it's a career. Why do we label it as a W-2 as something that's negative? I don't necessarily see it that way. You have a career. And what is the path of that career? Is that in alignment with what you want to be 10, 15, 20 years ago? Um, and then, you know, to become a real estate wholesaler, get extremely clear on what that journey looks like and make sure that it's in alignment. Um, just like real estate agents, right? Like somewhere like 75% of real estate agents fail. They have this sort of, you know, uh, fraction uh, perception of, of what it, everybody talks about, the flexibility, the schedule and all this freedom and make the money. <laughs> and they come to be a real estate agent. They find out they work way more hours than they did at their W-2. They're always on call. There's inconsistent income. They're miserable, depressed, and they quit. And everybody goes through that same journey. It's just some people don't quit like CJ's camera. They hang in there. <laughs> they stay in the game. They're longer. And, Dang. you know, I, I think that the best advice I could give you is to be crystal clear. Comparison is the thief of joy. And um, you're comparing your W-2 experience to someone else's wholesale experience. And we, we don't necessarily know that what you're seeing on Instagram or TikTok is 100% accurate. Um, so I would get really clear on what it is about you dislike in your current situation and whether or not wholesaling or being an entrepreneur is going to solve that problem for you. That, that was a really good deep dive there, Eric. I mean, you touched on a lot of it. Like, let's be honest, <clears throat> most of what we see on Instagram, uh, people post the highlight reel. People don't post the, the struggle or anything like that. So right. Leon, what, what you got for us? What are your thoughts, boss? Well, it's very rare that I get an unfair advantage, uh, but I actually have one in this particular case because C. Moss is, is, is like a brother. Uh, he and I went to high school, and I would argue that C. Moss, you already have the right mindset to do everything and accomplish everything you want in your current situation and what you want your life to be in the future. Um, and, the, and the way I know that is because C. Moss and I went to high school together. And um, out of all of my friends in high school, C. Moss is the only one that has ever reached out to me and said, I want to do this. What, what do I need to take? What type of steps? I said, the first thing you need to do is get on here with my boys and watch Real, uh, Pardon and Disruptions and watch Steve Trang every time you get a chance on Real Estate Disruptions because you get to learn exactly what people's mindsets are to make that transition of fulfillment what you want to do long term. The second thing you should do is find a mentor and a coach. I, because of uh, you reaching out, have put him with Chris Jefferson, who has been a mentor to him and has continued to help him along that journey. The mindset piece of this, of making that you already have that, and most people that watch this, they already have it. They just have to be in a spot where they start taking those necessary steps. If the fulfillment for you is to become an entrepreneur and you're not fulfilled, in that current career that you have, you have to take those necessary steps. And here's the last thing I'll say, you gotta get wins, small wins, set goals to replace that income because most people that wanna replace a W-2 are high earners. So you can't make that transition overnight unless you just are independently wealthy to be able to do that. Set goals, continue to reset them as you reach them but start with little wins and that mindset just continues to grow because you're around the people that can help you continue to grow into an entrepreneur. Dang. Yeah. And just to add to that, um, you know, we talk about the, the purpose, right? The having a very clear 
why as to why you're doing it. Always ask yourself, am I clear on my purpose? And then after that, am I living in alignment with that purpose? That's what Eric said earlier, right? Is, is being a wholesaler in alignment with what I want to do? Because we have friends that go through, you know, strained relationships, not having the kind of uh, quality time with their family that they want, right? I have people that say, I want to spend more time with my family, with my wife and kids, but they're always on tour around the country, right? So, you know, we heard a heartbreaking story uh, a few months ago, you know, a mutual friend of ours who his daughter at 17 years old decided to move out and said, this isn't for me, right? And this is a guy that busted his butt, worked hard, said, I'm doing this for my family, and he sacrificed when she was young. And then when she was, when they were able to appreciate the fruits of his labor, he's like, this isn't for me, right? So you, you always got to ask yourself, am I clear on my why? And am I living in alignment with my why? Those are two different questions. Yeah, and I think the underlying message to what we're talking about too is, you know, entrepreneurship ain't all sweet. Uh, Cliff's a student of mine. He knows my story uh, well than most folks, right? Like entrepreneurship isn't easy. Uh, Eric said it best, man. There's a lot of low lows uh, when it comes to running a business. Uh, there's a lot of people experiencing a lot of low lows right now. Uh, you know, if I had a do-over uh, and I could do it better, if I could go back to my mindset in 2006, 2007, when I had a regular job, a lot of what I would be really kind of geared in and focused on is how to brace myself for the hits, right? How to get, how to use that time where I got that cushion. Cause the cushion doesn't exist when you own the business that, 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 that goes out the window. You know where the cushion goes? It goes to your employees that need you. It goes to your vendors that need you. It goes to your lenders that need you. So that cushion that you got when you got that W2, that dependency, that dopamine release, at 12.01 a.m. on a Friday morning when your direct deposit hits, that shit's gone. It's gone when you're an entrepreneur. And so the mindset change, if anything, is getting braced for that and using the time of having a job as an opportunity to get yourself set up and positioned. And I think there's a lot of great answers here because like Leon said, it's in the preparation of knowing what you're going to need to do. Right. What are your goals? Like, are those goals written out? Do you know the life that you desire to have? Do you know what that life even costs? Right. I see a lot of people who quit jobs to do the business full time that regret it within six months because they had no actionable plan. They didn't have a business that was built on systems and processes. They closed a couple of deals. It was more money than they've ever made at their full time job before. And they quit their job and they have no concrete plan of action in place. And so that's the mindset changes, again, seeing that it's a tool that can be used to get you where you truly want to go. But regardless, there's no shortcut. It still takes tremendous amount of effort, tremendous amount of work. Yeah, and you have the worst boss on the planet, right? You. You're, <laughs> exactly. you, are, you are the worst <laughs> boss, right? Like you're, you're, you're not allowed to take weekends off. And the last thing is before you quit, apply for all your credit before you quit. That was the yes. biggest thing. When I quit my job yes. to go uh, work for myself, I went to go apply for a loan. I got laughed out of the bank. So apply for any loans you, you need now before you quit your job. Get that stuff set up. Lines of credit beforehand. And last thing I'll say is as, as I talk to investors that have started to make, you know, their mark in this industry and make more money than they've ever made, um, they wish they would have gone back and designed the business for exactly the, the lifestyle that they wanted to live. Um, I see younger investors doing this today more so than the people that have been in the business 20 plus years. They did it for money and not for happiness, right? 
design the business while you have that W-2 for the freedom, whether that's traveling, whatever it is, for the freedom that you want that comes with entrepreneurship, but just understand that the grind to get there is going to take time. Ding, ding, ding. All right, we're we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up there. So, you know, obviously we only have two real participants in this last uh, go around right here. Thank you for that reminder, Matt. Hey, no problem. Respectfully. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, um, look, Leon and CJ both gave great answers here. Next week, we really, really want Eric to, you know, go ahead and get closer to his microphone. Um, that, that being said, <laughs> We're going to go ahead and give this one to CJ because we're really hoping that maybe GoPro will give him a new uh, camera next week so that he can stay with us the entire time. And it doesn't look like, you know, he slapped a tube of Vaseline on his lens. Uh, so that's where we're at this week. CJ is where Leon, admirable mention, everybody else, your participation trophies are in the mail. Uh, that being said, I want to thank our audience. Um, thank you for allowing us to be with you guys for you know an hour hour and 15 minutes if cj's on the show um you know that that's what that, you know that's what it's all about that being said we're gonna go ahead and do some outros steve take it away yeah thank you guys again for, you know for watching i see 65 people here i love the audience participation i love you guys commenting asking questions it really helps us right because we do the questions we can't answer this week do go into next week it helps us a lot when you guys are participating so i appreciate you guys doing that I'm looking forward to next week. Eric, uh, go, go ahead and outro us, bro. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy this. I, I look forward to it. Um, you know, each week I, I feel like I learn and take away um, a little something from this show. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I've had multiple people now the last two times I, I, I took a trip to a networking event um, that mentioned like, hey, man, I, I really love what you guys do. Um, on pardon the disruption, I tune in, I go back, I listen to it, I watch it. Um, and for me, that's, that's one of the things that makes me feel great about, you know, having the opportunity to share is knowing that you have a positive impact and our experiences and the things that we've been through over these years, we can give little nuggets and little pieces of advice away so that maybe your learning curve could be shortened. Um, and you could have a slightly more pleasurable experience than what some of us had had to go through to get to where we are now. Um, so I'm just thankful for the opportunity. Um, look forward to, to, to being back um, week in and week out and, and doing my best to, to try and keep up. Hopefully it won't be a last minute uh, addition <laughs> next week. You can respond in the chat sooner. <laughs> Leon, what you got? Yeah, I, I look forward to this, guys, every single week uh, being on the show. Um, for those that are out there, whether you're a full-timer, a part-timer, a W-2 uh, and anything in between, uh, there's so much knowledge uh, with fun. I hope that uh, all of you understand the friendship that is here, trying to give you great information while having fun and making it entertaining. At least three of us uh, try to make it entertaining. I don't know what Steve's doing over there, but this is, it's always fun every single week. And He's Eric, working with chat, uh, man, great. I hope, good luck on your interview this afternoon. <laughs> All right, reigning champions, send us away. You got like 22 seconds. I'll take 30. Look, uh, you know, it, it, was, it, was good to be, it was good to be back. Uh, respectfully, no, it was really good to be back. Uh, it's always fun to do the show, man. I think Eric made a great point. 
just, you know, we're just coming from a genuine organic place, speaking from our own experiences and giving and sharing our thoughts to try to help somebody else. Uh, Leon, I did not mean to rain on, 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 on your party. I know you were trying to get a back-to-back chip here. Uh, I apologize, oh, man, but you, you know, when I'm here, man, it's big business going on. All right. Uh, so, 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 you know, look, respectfully, man, respectfully, respectfully, right? respectfully, that's uh, today's word. <laughs> but shout out to everybody for tuning in, man. Uh, if you want to hit me up, hit me up on Instagram at the Chris Jefferson. See you guys next week, man. Much love. All right. That'll wrap up this episode of pardon the disruption. Thank you to our awesome, uh, tuning in with us today. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a great one.